It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm very excited to be joined right now by Vice News Correspondent. He has a new series that he hosts, Border to Border, which explores different borderlands around the world. David Noriega, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Jess. Thanks for having me. No, I'm very excited for this conversation because in, in this country, there is there is one border. We recognize one border. It is the border to the south. There are no other borders. There are no borders in the world. Yeah. That's the only one we talk about. Um, the border. And you have an entire series. To let us know that that's that's not the case. <laughs> so when when did you when did you conceive of the series? When did you realize that we needed we needed to have, you know, a little more context to our conversation? Yeah, you know, something like this idea has been knocking around different corners of vice for a while now, I would say at least a couple of years, but, um, you know, and it sort of became concrete, uh, early, early last year, sort of before the pandemic made everything very complicated, but, uh, you know, it's basically the idea comes from just my experiences reporting from borderlands across the Americas. You know, I've, I've reported on, you know, as you mentioned, the border, the one and only border in the world many times, mm-hmm. but also yep. the border between Mexico and Guatemala, which has become sort of a proxy or an extension of the U.S.-Mexico border. Right before we sort of started seriously developing the series, we had just come back, me and the, the co-direct, my co-director, co-producer, Juanita Ceballos, had just come back from a shoot in, in the uh, triple border region in Paraguay, Brazil, and Argentina. So it's just our sort of you know, collective experience reporting from borderlands around the world had taught us a few lessons, brought up a few themes that we saw sort of united these very interesting places. And we thought, you know, why don't we just kind of dive into this as a subject in and of itself? Are you saying that there are similar issues playing out at borders other than the one and only border? Like there's there are things we can learn from other countries? That's crazy. (laughs) No, absolutely not. The the, the U.S.-Mexico border is the only border and we must exclusively pay attention to it from here on out. (laughs) <laughs> no, so so let's talk about some of those big themes. Like let's 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 dive right in. Let's talk about militarized border enforcement. Um that is a thing that we see yeah. happen in various circumstances around the world. Um what is the result of militarized border enforcement? Is there anybody who gets it right? Oh, the short answer to that last question is no, absolutely not. Um the Well, because, you know, if you look at the border, the U.S.-Mexico border, which is one of the borders we visited for the series, right? We had a sort of interesting internal Mm -hmm. conversation about whether we should do that, because I do think a lot of what we were trying to do is for an American audience, get them to think about borders differently. And it it would be more interesting if we showed them other borders than the one they're used to seeing. But we decided we might as well dive into that one, too, and just try and approach it in a slightly different way. So we're going to actually finish off the season with our two episodes from U.S.-Mexico. So that should be interesting. But, you know... The U.S.-Mexico border is very illustrative in exactly that sense, right? It's of all the borders in the world, it's probably the one where the most effort has been made and the most resources have been expended in trying to turn 
this arbitrary line in the sand, which has always been very loose and flexible and for most of its history has been effectively open, trying to turn it into like an actual hard line that separates two countries and that nobody is allowed to cross without permission. And when you actually go there and spend a lot of time there and talk to a lot of people who live there and have lived there for their whole lives and for generations, what you realize is that that doesn't work. It never has worked and it's never going to work. It will always be a place, like all borders, it will always be a place of sort of exchange and flexibility and even absurdity and mm-hmm. the effort to turn it into an actual line that nobody's allowed to cross without permission, it, it, it doesn't achieve its goal. And instead, it comes at tremendous cost, right? The cost of human lives of people dying in the desert or at the hands of smuggling networks that exploit the kind of black markets that are created by the border. Uh, it comes at the cost of the sanity of our politics, right? I mean, the, the, the border has become this mm-hmm. just sort of insane spectacle. It gave us Trumpism, right? Uh, but although I think it's also worth right. saying that there, I think there might be or ought to be a bit of a dem- reckoning on this question within the Democratic Party itself, because this didn't start with Trump. It sort of arguably started, at least the modern oh. era of it started with Clinton. Um, but, you know, there, there, there is... The, the gap between the way the border gets talked about in our political rhetoric and what it is in reality is tremendous. And that's one of the things we want to sort of get across and the militarization of the border. We devote an entire episode to that. So, you know, I'm really excited for people to see that. Well, I think people feel like that's the way it's always been. But like, I, right. I'm I'm not that old. I'm in my 30s. And I have friends who grew up in El Paso and remember just walking across to Juarez whenever they wanted totally. to. It wasn't a big deal. And that was when they were teenagers. Yeah. So you're talking about 20 years ago. Um, yeah. So and this that's a militarization I mean, that's really of important. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's a very important, that's a very politically important myth, right? That's a myth that a lot of people have put a lot of work into creating and preserving because it's very politically expedient. This idea that like there was once a time when the border was secure and we have lost control of it and now we must regain that secure, that it is, it is utterly false. Um, and yet a lot of people seem to sort of operate based on that assumption. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I mean, once we decide that something is what it is, then we also decide that that is the way it always has been. And we do not discuss the history, which is, I guess, a theme for um, the show today. It seems like every topic we talk about is like, oh, look, we papered over something else. Neat. Um, I want to move a little bit farther south and talk about the Colombia-Venezuela border. Yeah, You had an interview with a guerrilla operative um, mm-hmm. who... who who handled illegal cross-border traffic. How did you get that interview? Did you tell your parents beforehand that you were doing it? Um, tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> we got it through black magic, you know, a lot of sorcery. Um, and uh, I, I, well, you know, it's actually funny. So I'm, I'm, I am half Colombian. I was born and grew up there and my father still lives there. And I, it, it's, a, it's a complicated dance, what I do and don't tell him I'm doing when I go. But, I'm sure. Uh, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in this instance, you know, we, we used uh, a, we, we worked with a local producer in Colombia that we work with often, whose name is Andrea Aldana. I always love the opportunity to shout out Andrea because she's incredible. She does amazing work. Um, really very few people in right. Colombia who do work like her. And she was uh, the person who set up that interview for us. And, you know, but I had, it's not the first time I've spoken to ELN operatives, the ELN being at this point the largest remaining left-wing armed guerrilla group in Latin America um, and in Colombia. 
Um, and honestly, it was one of the most interesting interviews I've ever, ever done. Um, like it was just fascinating. I think the entire time I talked to this guy for like two hours and every, I was just riveted the entire time. I was like, what you're telling me is bananas. And I'm going to remember this for a long time because he was just speaking so freely and explicitly and clearly about how they, in conjunction with corrupt state actors from both Venezuela and Colombia are just constantly moving tremendous amounts of people and goods across this border, which when we were there was officially closed, right? Like officially speaking, nobody could cross that border. And yet there were hundreds and thousands of people and goods crossing it in both directions constantly every day. And to me, that was, that just illustrated so much. And one of the themes, again, that we explore in the series is, it's just the, the, the sort of absurdity of what governments want you to think borders are, which are these sites of like control and law and order and what they are in fact, which is, you know, places of just tremendous looseness and flexibility. Right. And that border, I think, <laughs> illustrates that better than any of the others we visited. No, every border is porous. Like that's because oh, yeah. they're not Inherent. real. That's like unless your border is an ocean. <laughs> and even then, totally. even then your border is porous. Okay. Do you do you have a sense of why he would talk to you? Like what's the motivation for getting that story out? You know, the ELN specifically, so criminal actors speak to the media for different reasons, right? I've I've reported with cartels in Mexico and mm-hmm. guerrillas in Colombia and, and smugglers in different parts of the world. And it, it, they all have different motivations based on their specific conditions that are always interesting to talk about and, and, and think about. In Colombia specifically, the ELN, they often like to speak to the press because they have an interest in a sort of PR message that has to do with the difference between them and other criminal actors in the country, because they retain a fair amount of kind of ideological motivation in what they do. They say, and you know, this is interesting because it's not, I think it's true to a significant extent. They're not the only people who say this when they take over an illegal market, such as cross-border traffic on the Colombia Venezuela border, they tend to have more sort of scruples than other criminal actors than like, you know, groups that are just paramilitaries or gangs or purely criminal actors. They don't like, they don't gratuitously murder people in spectacular ways. They try, they like, and they kind of want people to know that um, because they (laughs) like so many, this is weird, but like so many criminal organizations around the world, they actually do have PR operations and they care about what people think about them. It's weird, but you know, we, at least as journalists, that is so learn wild. a lot of interesting things as a result. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's just absolutely like every every time I talk to somebody who has interviewed somebody from the cartel or somebody, I'm always just fascinated by the. Maybe it's because I'm a communications professional, but like I want to see the meeting, like where they talk about the branding, <laughs> where they decide the rollout. Oh, like I want to. Sure. I want to. I mean, I do too. <laughs> I would. Lo- I would love to see that meeting. Like that, it would be incredible. <laughs> who's going to draft the press release and what the quote needs to be and whew, boy okay can we talk about um northern ireland for a second because this is a border yeah. that we 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 don't discuss in this country nearly enough and it has it is as politicized as our own one border to rule them all and has been exacerbated by brexit so just sort of unpack what's happening there and what that means for people who are living in ireland right now 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot to unpack. It's a complicated, fascinating history. But basically, um, you have two groups of people in Northern Ireland. One group who believes that Ireland should be one country and that there should not be a border there, and another group that believes it should be separate and that there should be a border there. Um, in, what, the most interesting thing, though, and you're right, this is one of the most politically contested borders in the world. The, the really interesting thing about this historical moment is that you can see it's not that long ago that this was one of the most violently contested borders in the world. And the Troubles was basically a war that was fought over the existence of this border. Uh, and that is over now. Right. But it is, like you said, kind of mm-hmm. beginning to rear its head again as a result of Brexit. But what you see when you go to Northern Ireland is really sort of an object lesson in how much better things are when borders are allowed to be open than when they are militarized and in, in sort of forced into being closed um, when they're actually not, right? Because you have the reality in Northern Ireland today continues to be one of, you know, you go to the border and you don't, you literally don't even know where it is, right? It's like difficult to tell mm-hmm. where the line is. You can tell by these weird signs, like the line, the color of the lines on the side of the road changes, right? And even though the, the sort of underlying issues that the border represents are still profoundly contested, it is a peaceful place and it's progressed so much in the last couple of decades. And any effort to sort of put that border back and make it once again into a place that needs to be patrolled and policed in some way is creating so many problems and digging up so much misery and pain and violence that it's just like, it's, you, you couldn't ask it for, you, you couldn't ask for more obvious lessons. It's just like, yes, things are better when we find ways to make borders you know, effectively not exist. <laughs> and they get way worse when we try to reimpose them. That's the, that's like the clearest thing I took so, away from that. Yeah. Oh, like, what do you say to the, the, the people who say you, you have to have a border if you're going to have a country, you have to have it regulated, you have to know who's in your country at all times. That's just common sense. Um, what's your answer to that? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, that's, that's such a tricky question, because if, if I had an answer to that that was, like, extremely effective, then I would probably be in political consulting and not journalism. But the way that I think about it is, like, you know, we, we, we think that the way we organize ourselves in society is natural. We think that borders are natural. We think that the nation state is natural and that it is the normal, natural way for us to be, you know, in a society. But... What I like to urge people to think about is like, well, I don't know, nation states are actually pretty new in the scheme of things, right? And they've been around for, I don't know, at most like 400 years and really as the dominant form around the world, much less than that. So it's entirely possible that nation states could go the way of like the monarchy and the city state and the empire and all of these ways of organizing communities that at one point or another, people thought were natural and people thought were the only way to do things. So you know, the, the, these ways of organizing ourselves and borders are an essential instrument in that form of organization. They're not natural. We invented them and we can invent our way out of them. And I think in a lot of ways, we're in the process of inventing our ways out of them. And that's just, you know, unfortunately, sort of a painful and costly process in a lot of the places that, that, that we visited. Are you seeing anything in this country uh, in, in terms of the conversations that we're having about immigration, the conversations that we're having about the border 
you know, Kamala Harris went to the border after that huge, you know, right wing outcry because she went to the countries where the crisis originated as opposed to the border, which is not where the crisis is originating. Um, Do you see anything in this conversation that gives you hope? (laughs) Because I I, I have had a hard time. (laughs) Oh, man, that's a really interesting question. I do. And, and what I would say is that, so kind of what I was just talking about, right? This idea that we can try to think about the way we relate to one another in the world beyond the forms that have been given to us, right? In this case, sort of like nations and conflicts between nations. I think that there is more and more of that in the way that people who live on, you, you know, people who live on the border, people who work in this, particularly some of the people who are most unsung, right? Some of the sort of activists and thinkers who devote their lives to this. Um, there is there is a tendency to think more freely and more creatively about what the border needs to be or ought to be, right? Once upon a time, I think everyone sort of accepted the premise that like, oh yes, this border must be quote unquote secure without really even defining what that means or stopping to wonder whether or not the billions of dollars that we've spent doing that have worked, which they haven't, right? And I think more and more you see people asking provocative questions like, well, is this working? If not, then why not? And if not, then how can we think about this differently in a fundamental deep way to push us into the next era? I think we're still very early in that process, but I do think that process has started. And I think that that's really interesting and in some ways hopeful. Yeah, I, I think I think my my uh, my cynicism comes from, you know, how little has changed at the border since Trump now with Biden. And of course, he's very early in his presidency. But the you know, the the, the border militarization, like you said, started under Clinton. It was really heavy under Obama. It, I have a hard time believing that that there are these thoughtful, creative solutions coming up in the rooms where they can actually affect change. But if they're coming up in activist yeah. spaces, Maybe we have the conditions under which we can affect change in the rooms where it matters. Is that where the hope comes from? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think there is it, it's it's a long and complicated process. Right. I, I don't think that the visionaries are in the Biden administration. And like you said, we, that's definitely what we've seen. Right. And I mean, to be honest, you know, this is a separate yeah. conversation, but I think the Biden administration is just has been completely incapable of coming up with a coherent position on this, right? Like the Republicans have a coherent position on this. It's not, it's it's based on a lot of falsehoods, but it's coherent. The Democrats simply have not come up with a coherent position on this. I think we'll see in time, I don't know that it'll happen within a first Biden administration, but I think we'll see in time the way that, you know, American politics is so much about mass movements and how they push politicians rather than about politicians and the ideas that they have. And so we'll see how this movement coalesces, how this movement continues to, to, to envision new ways of doing things. And we'll see how that kind of trickles into the halls of power. I don't know. It might not work. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to be hopeful here. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate that. The series is Border to Border. You can see it on Vice News. David Noriega, thank you so much for joining me this morning. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. I had a great time. Thank you all so much for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Zerlina Maxwell, at Jess underscore MC, and at Signal Boost Show.
Thank you.